The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports. The where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. Thank you, and welcome to another exciting episode of Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective. As usual, it is a Thursday afternoon here in lovely California. And if you're on the East Coast, I'm glad for joining us uh, today. You know, we like to bring in uh, great guests to our show today. I happen to have joining me David Jensen, uh, the best-selling author of the Hiring Academy. And you can follow David at David Lee Jensen on Twitter. Dave, thanks for, for joining me. Thank you very much for having me, Nick. Looking forward to talking some trash with you. Talking some trash. So to let the uh, listeners know, uh, David is from Boston. He's a Boston Red Sox uh, fan, and I'm a Yankee fan, so there, we've been chatting about that off air. Uh, uh, David, uh, last night uh, there was kind of a, a controversial call, if you want to call it that, an uh, NBA matchup between the Indiana Pacers and the Miami Heat, and when we talked about that a little briefly, you thought that, well, well I'll let you tell the people what, what you were thinking about on that last play. You mean uh, LeBron James shanking? Um, shanking? <laughs> in the back. <laughs> yeah. do, do, do you really think he shanked him in the back? Because I say, you know what, Paul George, great player, and, and I love him, his game has come along, uh, but when you look at that play, you had to know Paul George was going to have the, the take the last shot. But also we knew that LeBron James were going, was going to be guarding him and playing great defense on him. But, yeah, he had his hand on him, but it wasn't enough to shove him. And, you know, Paul gave us kind of a one of those Oscar-winning performances by just kind of falling on the floor, flopping, oh, as though the, page, the, the, the Pacers do on occasion. So I don't think it was that big of a deal. <laughs> wow, as the Pacers do on occasion. Yeah, you know, I mean, come on now, Dave. You know that flop, flop, body divock flop. Yeah, I, I didn't see any flop on that shot. And uh, and truly, I mean, you know, being an aficionado of the game, I wouldn't have called the foul either. Uh, I do think they, they beat them fair and square. And I think it's going to go seven games again this year. And uh, I'm just, uh, I'm waiting for next year when the Celtics are fully re- and uh, can be a contender. See, you know what? That, that's the thing that bothers me, Dave. See what you just <laughs> said. You, you, you're saying that you're not looking forward to the Celtics making any moves in the playoffs this season. You're looking forward to next season. It's almost as you have dismissed this season as a whole. Well, you know, uh, at the beginning of this season, everyone thought we would just go for a lottery pick. And I do think that Stevens has done an incredible job with the current personnel he has on the court. And we'll see what happens when Rondo comes back. 
I don't know if that'll be better or that'll be worse. Well, but I do you, know. <laughs> you, you, you know, you can go ahead and answer that, your own question. You know what's going to happen with Rajon Rondo once, he, once he's inserted back into the fold in the Boston Celtics offense. You want me to call that right here, right now? Do it right now. Why not? I mean, you're a Celtics <laughs> fan. We, yeah. We've had... We've had this discussion several times, and we know exactly what type of player Rajon Rondo is. And I'm, you know, not, let's not should we go there and saying that he forced Ray Allen out, so did Doc Rivers, and then Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. So we already know what type of player that Rajon Rondo is. Well, you and I both know that uh, attitude and determination and a winning spirit definitely trumps talent. Um, and uh, Rondo doesn't have those first three things. He's got talent. If you join, just joining us, we're talking to David Jensen, best-selling author of The Hiring Academy. And if you want to get into the conversation, you can get a conversation 1-888-346-9144. And we're talking about last night's game between the Indiana Pacers and the, the Miami Heat. Now, now, David, go back to the first half of that game, and you look at Roy Hibbert. I mean, whose game has definitely has changed in the past two seasons. Miami Heat has always had a problem with, with big guys inside the interior. Talk about the fact of what Roy Hibbert means from an offensive and defense standpoint for the Indiana Pacers. Well, I think he offers them a balance, uh, you know, from the defensive side of the ball is where it really should start and end uh, for Hibbert. And right. if they can continue to feed the ball inside and get some offense out of him, that's great. Uh, but when LeBron turns it on, he does not have the same defensive chops that he does. I mean, and that was obviously the big difference. Once LeBron got into uh, foul trouble, that's when Indiana actually made a run. And then LeBron had to come back and kind of even pushing aside his own teammates. Uh, right. you, know, the, you know, that little controversial uh, screaming match he had on the, uh, the bench. You know, he, he took the team on his shoulders and he really showed that it doesn't matter whether Roy Hibbert's there or not, that he's going to go to the hole and make a difference. So Roy's got to step up his defense. And if they get some offense out of him, that'll have a, a good balance. Um, but, you know, he makes a huge difference, as, as do many marquee players on teams uh, like the Miami Heat. If LeBron doesn't step up in that second half, you guys get cremated in that game. And uh, that's just sad that you guys have to uh, ride on his shoulders that, that much. Well, now, you, you mentioned the fact of, uh, and, and they showed it on the Full Letter Network, that the fact of what took place on the bench between Mario Chalmers and LeBron James. Now, now, usually, you know, that happens. Be, being a former coach yourself and me being a player, sometimes, you know, in the, in the heat of the moment, timbers flares, guys want to win so much that, yeah, they jump out at their, either a coach or another teammate and they start, start to yell. So I, I don't want to make a big deal out of it. Everyone else seemed to make a big deal out of it. You just mentioned it yourself. But talk about when you, when you were coaching, you know, did you experience those same things with one of your players? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been in situations where uh, the heat of the moment takes the best of you. And, you know, and LeBron, to his credit, you know, also got caught on film later in the game saying, hey, Rio, that's on me, right? And, um, and, and that happens. You get very excited. I mean, my team, my team used to come to me and say, hey, coach, uh, you know, the other team thinks that you're crazy. And, uh, <laughs> because I'd be screaming my head off, but I think it's really just a matter of what attitude you use of like, you know, come on now, man, or whether you're putting somebody down. 
they're both, that's black and white, a difference. If you're putting somebody down and saying, hey, you're a, a loser, you're a jerk, you're, you're no good, then that's not encouraging. If you go to somebody and you say, hey, you need to step up and you can make a difference and we can do this as a team, then that's a positive leader. And I will, to his credit, say that LeBron, nine out of ten times, is a very positive leader and, uh, you know, and it has made a difference with his attitude with that team as well. Now, in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, you know, you, you had the Miami Heat, uh, but, but looking at the conference as a whole, I mean, first the Knicks were a team coming to the season saying, okay, well, they would make a, be a difference maker. Then it was Chicago. Then we all know what's taking place with Derrick Rose. So, so coming out of the East, other than, you know, Miami and the Indiana Pacers, what are the teams that you think right now currently could possibly cha- challenge either team, if well, at all? You know, I that's a real. I mean, Atlanta's uh, shown some moments of greatness, uh, but not anything that uh, could go along. Brooklyn has just become a bunch of bumbling idiots, which is really sad. I mean, even Doc Rivers said that you know he feels sorry for Pierce and Garnett that they're in that scenario. Um, and uh, and Chicago, I mean, Chicago to their credit made a really good run last year without D Rose. And I think if they get their composure back, they still have a, a deep team and I think could go far. But really, Miami and, uh, and Indiana are where it's at. Boston's going to get a chance because if they hold on to the number four seed, which mm-hmm. looks likely, all they would need is one good upset and they could get into the finals. And, and as you and I both know, uh, it's anybody's game once you're down to that scenario. Once again, you're listening to Nick Ferguson's secondary perspective to get into the conversation 888-346-9144 gets you in. Uh, I'm talking to David Jensen, best-selling author of The Hiring Academy. You can follow David at David Lee Jensen. Uh, David, now, I, I know we're going to switch to ba- baseball later when we talk to Dylan Gaines. Now, with being a Boston Red Sox fan, mm-hmm. and you and I, and, you know, we've talked about this before. I'm, I'm a Yankees fan. You know, mm-hmm. how is it that... And I feel sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you feel sorry for me? You know what? I, do. I feel I do. sorry for you being a Cowboys <laughs> fan and what they're going, going through right now. But we're going get to get to that ju- in just a second. But <laughs> let's talk about the Boston Red Sox. Uh, even though I'm not a fan, I had to tip my hat to them. Uh, another pennant uh, under their belt. I mean, what is it about this Boston Red Sox team that allows them to get it done, you know, year in, year out. And they start off the season as a bottom dweller. No one felt as though they were going to get to the end and actually be in the race. Yeah, I mean, they truly were a worst-to-first story. And and it's amazing that that's your transition, uh, which right. is what I really love about you, Nick, because you must have predicted <laughs> this. But uh, <laughs> Because the fact is, is that what I just said about basketball, where uh, the coaching and the personnel and the leadership and the captainship of a team makes all the difference in the world. And the Red Sox of 2013 were truly an example of the year before. There was just some bad blood and bad chemistry, and there were some you know, really amazing players. I mean, look at what Gonzo did here in L.A. Uh, right. Look at what Josh Beckett did here. Oh, no, he didn't do anything. Well, all he did was cause trouble in Boston. Then he caused some trouble for L.A., I believe. And I think it comes down to those bad attitudes that then uh, break the team chemistry and don't allow you to make a run. And I think this year's Red Sox team had team chemistry. And it wasn't just about the All-Stars. It was really about that team coming together and making a run. 
And uh, I, I was really uh, pleased to see how well they held it together and made that run. You know, I tell you what, champions, world champions. Yes, you just like to uh, <laughs> toss that in there at yeah, every yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Big Poppy was really key for them. If, if they don't have him on the roster, and that's a healthy Big Poppy, I don't even think that Boston actually uh, wins the pennant at all. You know, but you could say that about anybody in any situation, and then you end up in a you know in a scenario where you don't have your all stars like the Chicago Bulls we were talking about. They made it run without D Rose. What would happen if LeBron James went down? Would Miami be able to pull up without him? You know, that's so hypothetical. You don't know. Big Poppy did hit a really key clutch grand slam. Did that win that game? Yes. Would they have won without that? Who knows? It's the same as the Buckner, you know, fiasco of 1986. You oh, know, yes, yes. Don't, don't remind fans of that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, that was not the losing play of the game. We were already put ourselves in a, in a losing position. So quite often we focus, you know, even like you said, you know, we focus on last night's uh, LeBron and Mario argument. But that's just, you know, playing ball. I mean, you and I have argued along the way, you know, and that's going to always happen as long as you remain a Yankees fan. Wow. Um, okay. But, you know, but we no remain, love there. No love we, loss. We remain a friend. You know, we, we maintain a friendship. So I think that, um, you know, Big Poppy is a ginormous asset to the Red Sox, and I'm glad we're bringing him back again next year. And, uh, and I think that uh, even just in spirit, he, he guides that team. And, and those are the unknown factors in sports, as you well know. If, if he doesn't come up big, you know, driving in runs, RBIs, you know, I, I still think, and this, this is not me not liking the Red Sox, it's just me being a fan watching baseball. If he does not come up big when he comes up big, I still don't think that the Red Sox, you know, go as deep into the playoffs as they, as they do. Because, you know, you go back to the game, and I think uh, they were down. And he comes up and he slaps a shot. I think it's a left field, and that's a two-run shot. And next thing you know, now they're back on top. Every time, and, you know, we talk about clutch all the time in sports. You know, when you need a home run, when you need a base hit, when, you need, when the Red Sox needed someone to make plays, he made those plays for them. That's I mean, he's true. He's one heck of a play. He made those plays for them. Absolutely true. Um, you know, and that balances out. You know, uh, I don't want to compare him to LeBron James because uh, that Please would be don't. that would be a disrespect to LBJ. But I must say that if you remember in Yankee Stadium when the Red Sox were down <laughs> and they came <laughs> back and won four games straight, it was, oh, oh, it, it was really? actually it was actually a Johnny Damon. Uh, you know, hit over <laughs> over <laughs> over the wall in uh, in Yankee Stadium that turned the course of that series, and then Poppy did have you know three or four home runs in that series to really like put the nail in the coffin of the Yankees and win our first World Series in ninety six years. But um, yeah, you just love to just kind of toss that out there, random information, huh? It, it it's factual information. <laughs> not if it wasn't the truth. You know? <laughs> so uh, there you go. But anyways, yeah, Big Poppy's, uh, you know, we're really blessed to have him. And, um, you know, hopefully, uh, I'm, I really love the rivalry of the Yankees-Red Sox, just so you know. It wouldn't be the same sport if there wasn't a team that was halfway decent uh, to send fishing every year. Wow. Okay. Well, we we. we been fishing for a couple of years here, but uh, that's going to turn around very shortly.
Well, I'm going to switch gears for just a second. I just mentioned the fact of being clutch. And, you know, when you mention clutch, certain names come up, Peyton, Breeze, Brady. But the one name that seems to get left out, and we got about two minutes before our break, is Tony Romo. Oh, you know, I knew you were going there. <laughs> I know, Jeff, of course, you, you knew I was going there. It's a big story. Right now, you know, they have two games uh, coming up where, they, where they're actually chasing Philadelphia. Who knew that was going to happen? Mm. But they need to win this weekend. They win this weekend, and they're good. They lose this weekend, and they're going to watch Philly, you know, win a, win a division. But, mm. but Romo, biggest problem, and, you know, I like Romo during the regular season. But mm-hmm. during the postseason, he never shows up. And he just has a tendency to make that mistake at, at, at the right time for the Dallas Cowboys, but the right time for his opposition. What are your thoughts on, on you know, Tony Romo with you being a Dallas Cowboy fan? Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if I could pay the salary of a new quarterback uh, myself, I, I probably would. Uh, Tony Romo, it's not just playoffs. And, and in fact, you know, when you say postseason, I go, whoa, 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 hold on. You got to get to the postseason first. And right. so Tony's problem is much deeper than that. I mean, that, that's Philip Rivers' situation, you know? <laughs> get oh, to just, the just, just, and lose it, right? just but, go ahead and just pass the buck to Philip Rivers. No, no, no. But I, I, I'm just saying that. Tony Romo is a clutch game problematic person. He cannot pull off a clutch win. You know, it's funny, in the beginning of the season, we can win some of these ginormous games, you know, beat the Giants right off to start the season, you know, beat some other, like, you know, rated, good, winning ball clubs. But when it gets into December, now we've got a scenario of you can be up 30 points and then lose um, you can, you right. know, you can really, really. Now, of course, everyone's calling out the coach because they're saying, "Hey, why was he thrown instead of running the ball or whatever?" But I know that that second interception was an audible by Tony Romo, and you could tell because D. Murray turns around and looks at Tony like, "Why did you not hand me the ball?" And um, and when you get into uh, Tony Romo's head and see that he just does not w- know what to do under pressure, it takes a lot of pressure. But when he gets to those big pressure moments, if he can't pull off uh, that scenario, that's, that's why the Dallas Cowboys will go nowhere. Well, coming up after the break, we'll talk to former Seattle Mariner Dylan Gaines about Pete Rose and what he's doing right now. On the other side of this break. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping want to play the ponies join us every week for winning ponies with john Engelhart, racing's regular guy where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys trainers agents and handicappers in the world of horse racing this show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies Handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. 
sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Thank you. You're listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. I'm joined by David Jensen, best-selling author of The Hiring Academy. And we have on the line with us today former Seattle Mariner Dylan Gaines and the coach and pretty much built this structure here in L.A., the All-Star Baseball School Academy. We'll hear more from him. Uh, about that, Dylan. How's it going? It's going great, Nick. Thanks for having me on the show. Not, not a problem. Uh, we talked a little baseball uh, earlier. We talking about the Yankees and the Red Sox and that that rivalry that uh, takes place every year. And the fact that you know Boston did a great job at winning the pennant this year. But I know you are uh, a Dodgers fan, so talk to us a little bit about what's happening on the West Coast with the Dodgers. Well, uh, Mark Ellis is out. Uh, Mark Ellis actually signed with the, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, he stated that he felt he had a better shot at uh, getting to the World Series in 2014. But they picked up a Cuban guy, Alexander Guerrero, to play second base. So I'm kind of excited to see how that goes down. And they... Um, they signed Juan Uribe to a two-year deal, which I think was a smart move because I think Uribe really started coming around this year. Uh, you know, obviously, players tend to pick up their game a little bit when they know that uh, they're going to be a free agent at the end of the year. But you know, I think that um, I think he liked the team. I think that uh, there was a lot of camaraderie there, and and uh, I think that was a smart move. I think they need a middle reliever. I think uh, they're looking at the axe man. Uh, Axford from, from St. Louis, and I think that, uh, you know, if they can beef up their bullpen, and, uh, you know, I think that they're going to have a, a successful uh, 2014. Now, 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 Dylan, I think there's been somewhat of an ongoing issue, and, and it doesn't get a lot of uh, airplay, but we're going to talk about it here on Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. 888-346-9144 gets you into the conversation. We've seen over the past couple of years... Uh, an influx of Latin American players. 
So, so that number has increased, while we've also seen a decrease in participation from African-American players. Why do you think that's the reason? Well, a couple things. I think when you talk about Latin American players in the Dominican Republic, and I think it's almost become like in China when they have the gymnastics kid, if they see any potential by five years old, they're shipping them off and they're training them every day. Right. You know, it's kind of like that in, in the Dominican. It's if, if there's a kid that shows promise and potential, they know that that's their ticket. And, and, you know, forget about school, forget about anything else. They're training and they're practicing every day. So, I mean, I think that gives them a, a big advantage. And the other thing that I think is that Nowadays, the travel ball teams are playing 92 to 96 games a year, and they're playing and they're traveling and they're going on, and, and it's expensive. It's, you know, some of these kids that, that I see at the baseball academy that are playing on travel teams, parents are paying $400 a month just to be a member of the team plus their paying travel expenses, plus all the equipment, plus lessons, and it gets very, it gets very, it gets expensive, and, you know, it's unfortunate that they don't get that opportunity sometimes in the inner cities, and I think that um, I've just seen kids developing so much younger than than they used to, and, right. you know, back back when I played, there was, you know, spring season baseball, summertime, you I went to the park with your friends, and, you know, you have to have the facility. You have to have a larger facility and funds to, to you know, continue to progress and to continue to compete against guys that are playing, you know, year-round, you know, every day. So it, 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 it makes it tough. And I think that you also see uh, in the scouting division, um, I think you see a lot of the scouts that are putting more attention on it. Um, the Dodgers actually just signed Juan Garcia Poig specifically for their international scouting organization, and then they hired another guy. Uh, I'm probably going to botch his name, but Hidonio Suyoshi uh, for the uh, for the Asian community. So the scouts are are really starting to to go out and and, and look in those areas. Um, I think, and and they're passing over some very talented uh, athletes that are here in the USA, and especially in the you know, African-American communities. If you just join us, we're talking to Dylan Gaines, former Seattle Mariners, and he has a baseball academy here in Los Angeles, California. We'll give you that information at the bottom of the show. But, but Dylan, when you talk about the, the economics and, and baseball, and Yusil Puig yeah. was one of these guys who were, was pretty much found in one of these farming systems by Major League Baseball. But yeah. don't you think that Major League Baseball, if they can put farming league teams in, in Dominican Republic, maybe Puerto Rico and Latin communities, they can do that same thing here abroad and just kind of open up that vast, I guess, talent pool uh, as far as in the inner city community? I agree with you. I definitely agree with you. And I know that... Um there is a community, there is a, a program called RBI Baseball that, that Major League Baseball sponsors and is a, is a part of that, um, that goes into the inner city 
areas, but I think that there needs to be more of that, and I think that there needs to be more uh, attention put here, you know, locally, because, you know, I, I think if you have to travel to these different countries and you have to try to find them and, you know, figure out how to have them, have them defect and this and that, I mean, you, you've got it right here in your, your own backyard. I just think that, uh, that it's a wasted, uh, you know, utilization of, of uh, the scouts' uh, energy and efforts, you know, because I do think yeah. there are a lot of talent here, you know, in the U.S. So. Nick, can I throw my two cents in on this, even though I'm a basketball guy? Oh, go right ahead. That's why you are here, David Jensen. <laughs> All right. So, uh, I mean, I really think that uh, this is just a marketing problem, Nick. I think, um, it, you know, so that you know, um, you know, this being the 66th anniversary of uh, Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. Right. I know uh, Bud Selig recently announced that Major League Baseball is going to form a task force to examine, you know, t- how to increase diversity in the sport. And uh, while there is a small percentage of African-Americans playing baseball, data shows that the percentage uh, has held steady over the last decade. There is 8.5% of the players that were in opening day in 2013 were black. Uh, That is down from about a decade ago when it was about 13% of players. I think, though, that it is a marketing issue. If Jameis Winston, Heisman Trophy winner, opts in for Major League Baseball, Rather than hitting the NFL turf, we've got a whole new era of baseball on the way. Would you agree with that, Nick? Well, you know, I think, David, it's more than just marketing. Uh, I think it's like Dylan talked about. It has a lot to do with, you know, economics. He, He spoke on the fact that it costs a lot to play baseball opposed to playing basketball or football. And if you look at a two-sport athlete like Jameis Winston, and he happens to be in a great position because he is a two-sport athlete and he's currently on scholarship at Florida State to be a football player, most kids coming out of the inner city, first and foremost, their parents can't afford it. So if you're a two-sport athlete, known as doing baseball, there are certain schools that give full rides, some give partial rides, and some give no rides at all. So you're just going to play baseball because you love it. And then you have another school, let's just say Florida State, willing to give you a football scholarship. I think it's a no-brainer for those kids, you know, who come out of inner-city neighborhoods. Am I going to go to this school that could possibly give me a partial scholarship or am I going to go to a full ride? So I think sometimes that's why, you know, baseball lose, lose these individuals. But if you go and you put that money and this marketing that you're talking about in those communities, now players might feel as though they have an opportunity to maybe reach maybe the, the professional ranks, because Dylan, you t- touch on this for a second. We know a lot of kids come out of high school and they go directly to the pros. Are there yeah. any pitfalls to, to guys coming right out of college going straight to the pros? You know, um, it's interesting because when I graduated high school in 92 and back in the early 90s, the scouts really – didn't want to sign kids out of high school. They actually, they talked to the parents and they talked to the kids and they said, look, you know, I think he needs to go to college. I want to see him grow a little bit more. I want to see him develop a little bit more. And I think over the last 20 years, you've seen uh, that change. And now they want them right out of high school. They want them. They don't want them to go to college. Um, and they, they even now have clauses in their contract that say, look, let me take him now. Let me get him into the pros. If, you know, if he gets hurt or, or after his career is over, we'll pay for his college. 
so they're, 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 they want them now because, because I think what they were noticing is some of these kids were getting lost in college. They were getting into partying or drugs or get hurt or, or, or they just didn't make it. And I think they just want them to have the least amount of responsibilities right out of high school. They, you know, they're still young and they, they, they don't, you know, and, and they, they want to develop them themselves. And I right. think that, uh, it's definitely shifted towards that. I think some of the pitfalls of going straight out of high school into the pros is the uh, culture shock. You know, right. when you're going from playing, you know, Friday nights or, you know, playing 16, 20 games in a season to playing, you know, short season A ball is 92 games in, you know, four months or whatever it is, and, and then, as you get into high A and double A ball, it's 162 games. And that's a lot for, for an 18-year-old kid that's straight out of high school to be able to come up to, to play under those conditions and play every day. And then you have other elements of, of you know, the competition that's coming in is, is, is a lot better. Some people get homesick. Some people get into the, the limelight and the stuff that surrounds those, the minor league organizations and, and I think that's probably the biggest pitfall for a kid coming out of out of high school and, and into the pros. Well, well, Dylan, we only have a, a couple more minutes left with you. Can you touch okay. on it real quick? Two things: uh, you got an opportunity at your baseball academy to sit down with uh, Pete Rose, a guy who I think uh, should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, how did that conversation come about, and what did he have to say in regards to you know the gambling? You know, it's funny. He actually uh, told me the whole story on it, which was he basically had a standing bet with a bookie for the, the Reds to win ev- straight up every game. Right. 2,000 Reds to win, that's it. And he called him up and, and said, okay, well, we're six games above 500 now, so, you know, you owe me 12. And he said, no, you owe me 26 because you didn't cover points. And, you know, Pete, being a, a strong-headed guy, told him to, you know, where he could stuff it. And, and uh, <laughs> the next day he was on the front-page news. And, and you know, he 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 did, he actually on, on the video talked about it and said, you know, that was a bad thing that I did and I should have done it, but that's history, that's in the past. And he never once bet on any other game and, and never bet on his team to lose. He bet on it to win. And, and uh, you know, I think that you look at athletes now and if you want to, you want to go into somebody's personal life and, and talk about things that they've done off the field, um, you know, I don't think there'd be a lot of Hall of Famers. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, I, think, you know, I think it's a disgrace in baseball that uh, Pete Rose isn't, isn't in the, the Hall of Fame. But another question I want to ask you, and that's part of the leading topic of, what, of our show, is we've watched Robinson Cano leave the Yankees and go to Seattle for – uh, $240 million uh, purse. And then here in, in, with the Angels, you know, we have Josh Helmeton and Albert Pujols, who yeah. they backed up the Brink truck to get these guys out here, and the Angels missed the playoffs. So, so how yeah. much is enough if a franchise is trying to, to purchase a, a championship? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a very good question, and it's funny because the Dodgers, for the first time ever, hit the luxury tax uh, for their 2013 purchases. You know, they, they, they went in heavy into the market. 
they they opened up their checkbook and um you know they uh and and then you know DJ you know Ellsbury uh signs a 7 year deal for 153 million with the Yankees I mean oh you had to go there bring it up of course he's going to bring it up but you know it's it's hard to say what's enough I think you can have all the talent in the world and all the money in the world but if you don't have a coach that can gel these guys, they're all individuals, you're not going to win a championship. And I think I think Mattingly honestly did a good job gelling the Dodgers together. And I think when Poik came in, I think there was a, just a – everybody just started having fun. Everybody was playing like they were just back in Little League. And I, and, and I watched these guys joke around in the dugout and smiling and laughing. And, and I think he really kind of – his, his – enthusiasm and his energy really brought the whole team up and and you need more than than money to to win a championship you got to have that unity as a as a group and as a team and i think that falls on the manager's job a lot but then you know luckily the dodgers you know picked up the, the you know foig who's just has just so much energy and, and excitement out there kind of just spread to everybody else you know yeah yeah you listen to uh, Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective, joined by David Jensen, best-selling author of the Highland Academy, and joined by Dylan Gaines, All-Star Baseball School. You can find Dylan at www.allstarbaseballschool.com. Dylan, thank you for being on with us. Great stuff. Uh, appreciate it. Of course, feel free to join us anytime you want to to talk Dodgers. And Major League Baseball spring training is about 64 days away. So maybe we can get you back okay. on to talk uh, some baseball again. Ladies and gentlemen, that's David Jensen and Dylan Gaines. Thank, Thank you, Dylan. You, Appreciate it. All right. David, we, we have about 30 seconds before we go to break. Uh, and, okay. you know, we're going to get into it after we get out of the break. And that's the fact, since we're talking economics, uh, the fact of should college athletes get paid when college coaches and everyone else is making a ginormous amount of money. So uh, sit tight with us. We're going to get David's take and feel free to hit us up 888-346-9144 to get into the conversation. I'd like to hear what you think about should college athletes uh, get paid when everyone else is making money? I think so. What about you, Dave, real quick? Sounds good to me. Uh, we can get into that because I absolutely do not think that college athletes should be paid. All right. We will get into that in depth right after the break. Stay tuned. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. I just think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. If you're looking for a show that takes you through the process of becoming a successful college athlete, you'll want to tune in to Get It Done Sports Radio with host Karif Bird. You'll find out about the how-tos of getting to the next level and the do's and don'ts when preparing for college athletics. It's a complete inside look at what's turning out the next generation of players. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Sports. 
Are you a Philly sports fan? Maybe you're local to Philly, or you're a transplanted Philly fan. Either way, you want to check out Philly Sports Jabronis. It's a radio show that has nothing to do with Chicago sports. It's not about NYC, and L.A. can't even muster a football team of their own. It's all about Philly sports, and nothing but Philly sports, most of the time. Join your hosts, Mike Greger and Joe Dara, every Friday at 7 p.m. Philly time, 4 p.m. on the West Coast for the transplants on the Voice America Sports Channel. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickferkshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Back Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. I'm still joined by David Jensen, best-selling author of The Hiring Academy. And before we went to the break, we were talking about Chicago's athletes get paid. I know this is a longstanding debate, and there are those who uh, disagree with my take. Uh, my friend, David Jensen, seems to side uh, on the other side of the fence because he doesn't think that college athletes should get paid. Before I give my take on it, I'm going to let no way. break it down from his standpoint. No way. No way. No way. Yeah, uh, Nick, I really believe that college athletes, in a sense, are getting paid in the sense that the vast majority are getting full-ride scholarships and opportunities at incredible universities, marquee universities that produce higher graduation percentages from their football teams than they do from the entire university's population. What do you have to say about that? (laughs) I have to tell you, right now, I'm getting a couple of emails from people, and they are literally disgusted with the fact of uh, the, the, the notion that you and others feel as though college athletes shouldn't get paid. And, 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 I, and I have to agree with them. And, here, and here's why. You know, I, I play this sport, obviously, and I know what we have to deal with on day in and day out as far as, you know, you, you got the rigors, uh, the rigors of the season you have to deal with. You have to leave class because your obligations uh, to the program. And in, in some cases, guys come into an institution wanting to major and a certain major, but they can't because it's a scheduling conflict and they have to change majors. So, yes, they get they get an education, but sometimes they don't get a quality education in the degree that they want to because they have to change that and they have to alter that. And also, Dave, keep in mind, you know, we're right on the cusp of bowl season. There's a couple of bowls that are going to take place here on, on Saturday. And you got to think about how much money goes into that bowl game, that recognition that actually helps – uh, enrollment for that particular school. And and we, we just had a, a, a case early in the week, and it's been a big story, what's happening with Mac Brown at uh, Texas and how he was forced out. And everyone was talking about, well, who would be the next co- coaches to, to come into this, this program? And, you know, the names that were being mentioned was Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, two coaches who, who run are the heads of top programs and who are still on the contract getting paid a significant amount of money. So, Think about this. You would have had to pay both Saban and Jimbo Fisher a boatload of money to get out of their contracts, and then you had to give them more money. So, so these coaches do get reach this certain level of, of, of acclaim based upon the product they put on the field, but, but it's on the backs of the players. So serving the volley back in your court, my friend. 
Well, I got to say that I don't know how it's necessarily on the backs of the players if they continue to, I mean, the players are only there one year, two years, or four years. Not necessarily. The coaches are there for four years, eight years, 12 years, and they're building a dynasty. I mean, you know, if I compared it to basketball and you took a Mike Krzyzewski or something of that sort, would you say that the players built him or would you say that he built a program that was a consistent winning formula? You see? I think I think it's a combination of both, but you're just a backup for just uh, just a second. In basketball, it used to be kind of like that one and done. Now they really can't do that. And in football, you can't leave as a sophomore. You can't leave as a freshman. You can leave as a junior. So you're talking about possibly the possibility of three years building a program and consecutively winning six games that will qualify you for a bowl game, and then now maybe a national championship. So, so you, you actually use the backs of those players as stepping students to get to that point, and then you can jump ship and go to pursue another job, just like Nick Saban did. He was at LSU, then he went to the Miami Dolphins, and he came back. But isn't that the same as the player who jumped ship his junior year to go to the pros to get a big payday? But that player is, is, is leaving because he added, he's at a certain point in his career where he can because the rules allow him to do that. And then also looking at the economic background that that player comes from because here's something you need to take into consideration. And, and our listeners need to who, who, who think that players should not be paid. When you look at what college system, what the college system is, and you look at amount of players that are on a college team, a lot of those players come from low-income housing because football allows them to get an education. So when you're talking about the dorms that they have, the, the eating, the training table, and the education – but what about mom and little brother and sister that are back home who are trying to keep the lights on, right? What about those individuals? Yeah, you're living right, but what about those individuals? That's why some of those players choose when eligibility allow it and the rules allow it to leave school to help their families out. I can't fault a kid from that. I don't care what background you come from. Oh, I can't fault him that either. And you have a, you know, a wide variety of income backgrounds and you know backgrounds from – all over the United States that are different. But the thing that's not different is the talent of the player. And as you and I both know, only a tiny small percentage end up going to the pros. Exactly. So the the opportunity of a player to go in and get a full ride to college where he would never be able to financially afford such is, you know, that changes his whole stature in life from that point. I mean, we're not talking about you know, players who go in and, and, you know, play an offensive line position or or some, you know, position where they don't get recognized by the NFL and don't get picked up and now they're not graduating and they're back into, you know, to use your, you know, example, low-income housing or something of that sort. We're talking about players who then have an opportunity to graduate, you know, BC, Miami, Rice, Duke, you know, Penn State or or even any of these bigger schools like in LSU, Texas or, you know, somewhere that Auburn or somewhere of that sort. These guys are getting great opportunities no matter what. If I go into school to become an attorney, no one's going to pay me to get my law degree done, even though it's going to cost me twice as much because I've got twice as much college to do. No one's going to pay me to come in and be an attorney uh, in college. So it's the same as a pro athlete. That's going to be his career. That's going to be his profession. So college is part of that ground. I think that's a little different, that that scenario that you just laid out there, because if you're going to law school to become a lawyer and you're trying to pass the bar, you're not contributing a certain amount of money 
because this last time I checked, I don't believe there was some kind of uh, lawyer bowl where they get all these uh, guys together and you pit wits against one another. And football, oh, but there is. No, oh, but, but there is. Where? That's why you have huge. Oh, I don't know. Where's this bowl? <laughs> this bowl is in the courtroom when you got somebody like uh, you know O.J. Simpson committing a murder or Michael Jackson getting accused of you know some sort of whatever. I mean, any of these legal scenarios, you know, Donald Trump gets sued. Now that law firm makes millions upon millions of dollars for the sweaty efforts of their legal counsel and their huge lawyer team. Yeah, and but, now, but they, and then you get paid a percentage of that, a small percentage of that, you, because the name right. on the door is more important they, than the name on that exactly. player's back. So, so that money goes back to, to that firm because that person who's trying to get off, they want to get off. So they're going to pay you a, a goobs and gobs of, of money to do that. But as far as, the institutions, as far as football is concerned, they make millions of dollars. They make Nick Saban was making five point four million dollars before this whole Texas thing came about, and his and his contract wasn't up until two thousand and twenty. Now all of a sudden, because Mac Brown is pushed out, and now they're talking about Nick Saban, Alabama said, "You know what? We're not going to lose our coach, so we're going to give him an extension. An extension when your first contract wasn't even up. So he's getting paid mm-hmm. millions of dollars. There's several players that have gone." to uh, uh, the NFL, and there's certain players who have gone to the NFL who were not drafted that did not make the team. So the idea of the fact that we give you education and we give you an opportunity to get to the NFL, I think that's a fallacy because a lot of players, they go, but they don't make it. And then their eligibility is up. What, what did they accomplish in those three or four years they were at that institution? Were they actually even in degrees that they can use afterwards? Majority, probably not. Well, that's, I mean, now we'd have to like drill down into tiny little statistics. But what I do know is that bigger statistics are that, you know, 90%, 70% and 90% of these guys are graduating college, they're leaving with a college degree. And that's an opportunity that, you know, it just falls in percentages, you know, of every kid who plays the sport. Only a certain number are going to then make it on the varsity squad. And every kid who plays varsity, only a certain number are going to make it to college, you know, to play. And then of every college player, only a small percentage are going to make the pros. And in the meantime, they got to have it. You know, it's the same as we talk about coaching, right? You've got to have the parenting and you've got to have the, you know, structure in your life to decide that, hey, you know, I love the game and I'm going to play 110%, but I'm going to make sure that I have my values in that I'm going to get well-educated as well. And they have that opportunity to do so. Same as anybody else, same as that kid who goes in to be an attorney has that opportunity to uh, excel and then go put a shingle up on a door and become a success or to, you know, struggle along as a second fiddle. If you just joined us, we're talking to David Jensen, best-selling author of the Hiring Academy and of all things, Hiring Academy, we're talking about statistics and we're talking about college football and should college athletes be paid for what they do on the field. You mentioned that 97%. Now, I know Northwestern is at uh, 97% as far as leading on pretty much everyone as far as graduating but there are some individuals that are at the bottom of the barrel. And, and to be totally honest, it's very upsetting to me going over these numbers. You know, my institution, Georgia Tech, when you look at both basketball and football, they have some bottom basement numbers uh, themselves. And I think that has a lot to do with uh, looking at Georgia Tech, how they view their academia 
and wanting to be pretty much the Harvard of the South. So it's not as easy and cut and dry as, hey, I go into Georgia Tech, I minor or major in business administration. That that sounds like a very, you know, you know, unique major that doesn't seem like it's going to be uh, hard to overcome. But do you know you, you, you take biology and you take, you know, all these maths that are for pre-med majors. And, and, you know, you have a lot of guys who think that they can make it, but they, they, they don't. And not just Georgia Tech, you have a lot of guys that go into programs and thinking, okay, well, I'm going to be able to get a degree from this school, and it never happens. And be, because we know that, that's what I'm saying. Uh, this is why I think a certain amount of money should be put aside for these guys. If you're a walk-on and you make the team, you should get the same amount of money. Because if, if you are at a program and that program pays for other sports, like volleyball, female baseball, or something like that. Because let's be totally honest, the cash cow sports are men's sports. You know, not talking sexes or whatever, but I'm being realistic. Football, basketball, and baseball. So if you are bringing in a huge sum of that pot, then you should see a, a great sum of that come back to you in some form of return. Do you not? Well, I mean, here's the situation. I mean, first of all, so that you know, UConn and uh, Tennessee women's basketball would uh, argue with your last statement, but I'd say uh, in the majority, you're right. Um, but I really think it's an institutional uh, question with regards to the graduation rates. That's the first thing. I just want you to know that in the ACC, you know, Boston College, 94%, Miami, 94%, Duke, 92%, you know, et cetera, et cetera, down to Florida State, who's now, you know, got a national championship uh, shot, 55%, and Georgia Tech, 55%. So that is an institutional problem that is the same as any other organization where you've got a rotten apple at the top who's not looking at those statistics and not doing something active to change them, that's a real travesty and that's a real disservice to those players. And I would hope that the media would pay more attention to that rather than just, uh, you know, all the controversy of fake girlfriends on Skype or, you know, (laughs) who got got stoned at the last, you know, party. It's really really a a sad uh, society we live in when that that occurs. But... um, I will say that as far as the player payments, I, I, I really disagree. I really see that, you know, you just said, okay, a walk-on gets play, paid the same. So you're telling me that a Heisman Trophy winner who, you know, you and I both know, LeBron James comes in, he carries the team. If Jameson comes in, he carries the team. Now, why does some walk-on player who's riding the bench get paid? paid the same amount as that player and then maybe you say he doesn't so then how do you split up who's your superstar and who's not who's gonna now you're just you are forwarding that same scenario which is that only five percent to you know uh, four or five percent of that team will make the nfl and now make you know the uh, dead presidents as you call them <laughs> versus the rest of the team that's going to go off and have to continue and get their degree and start their lives over again. How do you, uh, how do you determine that, Nick? Well, I, I tell you what, we've got 30 seconds before we close. We, we're not going to uh, solve everything in, in, in this particular conversation. We'll jump back on next Thursday at 10 a.m. same time, and we'll just kind of go back over this whole situation yet again. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest, Dylan Gaines, uh, from the All-Star Baseball School, and also thank David Jensen, best-selling author, once again, of the Hiring Academy. You can follow David at David Lee Jensen on Twitter. Dave, thanks again. Uh, we will continue this conversation 
via Twitter. You can also go to uh, Google and uh, we'll continue the conversation there as well. Also, don't forget on YouTube, check the Nick Ferguson Secondary Perspective YouTube channel at Nick A. Ferguson. But once again, thank to all our guests. And we will join you back here next time. Same bat time, same bat channel. And also I want to thank my engineer, uh, Justin. Appreciate it. Great job. Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week. 